Welcome to Ill-Informed. I'm Glennis Green. A major bill passed in February 2019. Illinois is going to have a $15 minimum wage, y'all. Ladies and gentlemen, today is a great day for Illinois working families. Today, we boldly declare that Illinois is a state that welcomes working families, setting a high standard for workers' rights, economic opportunity, and economic justice. This is a monumental day for our state. So, $15 minimum wage, where it came from, why 15, why the government is involved in wages in the first place, and how this thing that was literally laughable six years ago became a reality. And a little theory. We would not have a $15 minimum wage if it hadn't been for Republican Governor Rauner. And listening to this, even if you don't support a $15 minimum wage, there's something heartening here. Because a committed group of activists and workers and organizers turned this wacky, radical idea into the law of a bunch of the land. And this shows that it can be done with other issues. So, tell us the story, Daniel. Where do we start? Well, let's start at the end. J.B. Pritzker, recently inaugurated governor of Illinois, signed into law a bill that increases the minimum wage in Illinois from $8.25, where it's been now for most of a decade, over the course of the six years between now and 2025, up to $15 an hour. Makes Illinois the fourth state to do this after New York, California, and New Jersey, joining a movement across the country. And I think a lot of people look at this and say, listen, Illinois is a place with giant Democratic majorities in the House and the Senate, a governor who campaigned on doing this. Of course it's going to happen. Why is it a big deal? Why is it even something to think about? Yeah, and why Illinois and why now? You, like, jumped all the way to the punchline. (laughs) (laughs) So... Just five years ago, it's 2014, back then there was a Democratic governor, Pat Quinn. There were Democratic majorities in the House and the Senate. The governor really wanted to raise the minimum wage. All the legislative leaders were talking about raising the minimum wage. And then they kind of got cold feet near the end of the legislative session. How? Well, they had this this brilliant idea. They decided that if they – there was an election coming up that November – Pat Quinn, the Democratic governor, was going to be running for re-election. They figured if they gave people the minimum wage increase they wanted, then people wouldn't have anything to vote for. So they said instead of actually passing the thing, we're going to say we don't have the votes and we're going to put a referendum on the ballot. So in the November election, when people have to come out and vote for governor, they also get to vote for a non-binding question should the minimum wage go up to $10 exactly. immediately? I remember that question. So for folks who don't know, these types of questions get on the ballot either by the legislature putting them there, which happened in this case, or by citizens getting signatures to get a question on the ballot. These questions can be binding, which means it actually changes the law, or advisory, which means basically it's just a public opinion poll. So this is an advisory or non-binding question that was showing up on people's ballots. And the theory was people are going to be so fired up to vote on a non-binding question that doesn't actually do anything. That they'll look past the fact that they're not getting anything. Well, or at least that they'll turn out and then while they're there, they'll vote for other people that the folks who put the thing on the ballot had in mind. Now, that is brilliant. That's pretty genius. I mean— But terrible also. Well, but also, like, when's the last time you showed up to vote 
because you were fired up about a thing that didn't actually matter? You know, I will say I'm, I, I do get excited about <laughs> the, well, the plural for referendum would be referenda, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I myself Thank am yeah. not from Rome, but that's, yeah. that's what I hear. <laughs> I myself personally get pretty excited about it. So when I'm in the booth, I'm like, wow, there's this issue that I care about. Somebody is thinking about it somewhere, and it made it here first. Maybe it'll make it on a floor somewhere, on a house floor somewhere, right? So on that, fair enough. That was a theory. Didn't work electorally. Pack when the Democratic governor lost his reelection, but whatever. That was a theory. In the meantime, while the guy loses his reelection, the referendum passes overwhelmingly, right? right? It's like 63, 64% statewide. It passes in almost all legislative districts, right? Whatever, wherever you represent as a state legislator, chances are your constituents were for it. Mm -hmm. And so now we've got another couple months before this guy leaves office as governor and everybody runs down to Springfield to be like, all right, all right, all right. We were, we told people we're going to ask your opinion and then do what you want. You said you wanted it. So here we go. And the Senate put together this minimum wage increase that uh, raised the wage uh, over the course of a number, you know, a few years. Raised it up to uh, ten dollars and fifty cents, and the Democrats in the Senate get sort of fired up about it. They pass it. It goes over to the House, and then Mike Madigan, the Speaker of the House, is like, "Hey, you know what? There's not enough votes for it. We're going to adjourn and go home, and everyone can come back next year." But so, wait a second, if if the whole promise was we're going to put this on the ballot so y'all can tell us if you're for it and then we're going to do what you want, why did Madigan not have the votes to pass it after? Mm. I feel like you might have the answer to that question, though. I, or, I can or speculate. Now, this is, you know, considered to be one of the most powerful people in the history of Illinois politics— most of us believe if he really wanted to get it done, he probably could have found the votes. Precisely. Yeah. And his theory at the time, I believe, was if this is a thing that just Democrats want, that just Democrats are going to vote for in the legislature and a Democratic governor is going to sign into law, then it's politically risky for Democrats. That They mm. might piss off independents. They might lose votes in the middle. And – if you're a voter who really, really wants a minimum wage to increase, you know for sure the Republicans are your enemy, so you're going to vote for the Democrats anyway. And so it's politically risky to take this step unless someone forces me to. And so instead of actually doing it, they went through this whole charade of putting the thing on the ballot, pretending that they were going to listen to the people, mm. and then just ignoring the, ignoring the people spitting in their faces once the decision came down. And so my response to your initial question is if that's what happened in 2014, why is it in light of that so obvious that now in 2019 with a Democratic governor and Democratic majority, blah, 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 that we would get it done? Why wouldn't the same thing happen? Why wouldn't Madigan again be like, well, it's too risky. It's too controversial. The people who want it are going to be for, for me anyway. The people who don't want it are going to be pissed if we pass it. Let's just kind of sit on it and not do anything. What changed in the intervening time? Until this bill passed in February, the last time someone in Illinois passed a bill to increase the minimum wage was back in 2007. And that that wage was increased over time from, you know, I, th- I think it went up from uh, 650 to 750 to 8 bucks and then 825 but it hit 825. Definitely sounds like you just read that off of a piece of paper. 
I don't understand why you would possibly think that. That's just, <laughs> those numbers are actually tattooed to the inside of my eyelids. So I just closed my eyes and looked. <laughs> was that also like the federal minimum wage? What was the federal? How was that like comparable to the federal? Yeah, that's a good question. So a lot of the time what happens is the feds raise the minimum wage mm-hmm. and the state wants to stay ahead. So at some point in the mid-2000s when George W. Bush is president, the feds raised the minimum wage to $7.25. That's when Illinois went up to $8.25. Before that, the feds were at $5.15 for a while. And actually up until 2003, Illinois was at the federal minimum of $5.15. And then we went up to $5.50 and sort of we've always been a bit ahead of the feds ever since. Okay. So whichever minimum wage is higher between the state and federal minimums, that's what business owners have to go by because businesses have to abide by both the state and federal law. Right. So so like Illinois could say the minimum wage is $2 an hour if they wanted to, but businesses would still have to pay seven twenty-five, or else the feds come and break down their door and cart them away or something. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So now the push is a $15 minimum wage and you said by 2026. 25. Thank you. 2025. That's far away. Yeah, it's gradual. We're in 2019. Yeah, for sure. It's very much a gradual release model. Yeah, so so like— So gradual that it's almost not even there. Yeah, I mean $15 in 2025 is $13.06 in 2018, roughly. Right? So it's, you know, it is not not tomorrow. I feel like we won't even have cash as a currency by the time— we get to 2026. <laughs> 15 Bitcoin an hour is considered the minimum wage. I mean, like, the value of money will have changed. The concept of money will have changed. So, okay, $15 by 2025. Where does this fight for 15 come from? So I think it's worth rewinding a little bit. Rewind! I'm really concerned that we're not giving people an opportunity who work 40 hours a week or who want to work 40 hours a week an opportunity not to depend on government or to depend on charities. In 2011, Kimberly Lightford, she's a state senator who's been fighting for minimum wage her whole career, she introduces a minimum wage increase bill and it kind of doesn't go anywhere and like a year passes and it like maybe gets out, out of committee but never gets a lot of momentum, and now most of 2012 is over. And then then this really interesting thing happens in the late fall of 2012. Mm-hmm. In November, there's a, a fast food strike in New York. Fast food workers walk off the job, and then a few days later, there's one in Chicago, too. And this is the birth of the fight for 15. Their idea back then, remember, it was a while ago, was you need to earn $15 to be making a living wage, and we're going to start fighting for 15 Yeah. I cannot stress enough how crazy the political establishment thought these people were. I imagine. I mean, I remember people making fun of them. They were like, oh, fight for 15 It's really cool. I'm glad it's alliterative. It's too bad that— It don't ever happen here. Well, it's also like too bad that 12 doesn't start with the same letter as fight because then you could be for a reasonable policy. 15 is dumb. Right? There was all this eye-rolling, all this sneering, all this is totally yeah. impossible, never going to happen here. Extra side-eye. Tons of side-eye, yeah. absurd amounts of side-eye. But they just kept doing it, and the, the strikes got bigger, and the demonstrations got bigger around the country. So then it's 2013, and Senator Lightford again introduces another minimum wage bill. It's an increase now to 
to you know something like $11 an hour, which is nowhere close to 15, but even that doesn't really go anywhere. And then the strikes get bigger in the spring of 2013. And then in May, she's like introducing more amendments to her bill to try to get it through, but it still doesn't pass. And then December of 2013, the strikes get bigger and people are in the streets and there's a ton of attention on this. All across the country right now, there's a national movement going on made up of fast food workers organizing. And then we get up to 2014, the year that people thought there might be a chance of it happening, when instead, because of this political trick of trying to bring people out to mm-hmm. vote for a referendum, the whole thing got tabled for and over two million it got put on a referendum state. instead. 40% of people in the state of Illinois make less than $15 could an could say hour. no one can live on the current minimum wage of $8.25 people, an hour. skill level, where the, based on where they are, competitive wage, their labor may not be worth $15. It might be worth $11, $12, $13, $14. What are we going to do about those people? Shamed of ourselves as a society that people can work full-time and still live. Poverty doesn't have a face. These are people who are bill, Gradually raising the minimum wage to $15 by 2022. But then something interesting happens. Ooh, plot twist. And we're going to find out what that something is. <gasps> Right after this quick break. So I'm having this conversation with Daniel, and I kept thinking, wait a second. How did the government start setting minimum wages in the first place? Like, these are private companies making contracts with private citizens. How did the government get involved? So I found someone to give us a lightning-fast history lesson. My name is Colleen Duty. I'm a professor of American history at DePaul University in Chicago. So here's where it started. Federal support for the minimum wage began with the 1938 Fair Labor Standards Act, which was an important piece of New Deal legislation. So the idea behind it really was that the American economy at that point needed consumers. During the 1920s in particular, the American economy made an important shift uh, away from, you know, if you think of the, the economy of the late 19th century, it's really based on steel and heavy industry. During the 1920s, the drivers of the, the nation's economy were consumer durable. So you think automobiles and Ford, radios, washing machines, etc. And so these sectors couldn't be successful unless consumers had the necessary disposable income to buy those goods. And so the New Deal policymakers in the late 1930s worried that if income distribution was skewed heavily toward what we might today call the 1%, that the American economy would remain depressed. And they believed that mass production required mass purchasing power. And, and that's it. That's, that's the idea behind the minimum wage. Okay. Back to the story. Then something interesting happens. Then we got a new governor— mm. Bruce Rauner, who's a Republican, and he gives his state of the state address that next spring. And in his address, he, a Republican, says he's for raising the minimum wage. We must also help those workers who are barely getting by by raising the minimum wage. And I remember sitting in the House chamber when he gave that speech, and we all started clapping. And then he said, we're going to raise it 25 cents a year up to $10 in seven years. Increases the minimum wage to $10 an hour over the next seven years. And everyone started laughing out loud, which 
you know, never happens in that environment. It's a sort of stately and serious and respectful vibe in there. But there was just open mocking of the guy because all of a sudden Democrats had figured out like, wait a second, we have to actually be fighting for a real increase in the minimum wage, not just a tiny nominal amount to kind of buy people off and keep them happy. In 2015, the grassroots pressure has been strong enough to pressure a Republican governor to be for a minimum wage increase and Democrats to laugh at him for not being for enough of a minimum wage increase. It forced the Democrats to at least put this referendum on the ballot. It's it's moved the needle, but it's not moved the needle to a place where the bill becomes law, where the bill actually gets a majority in each house and is signed by a governor. Okay. And then it's just sitting there. It's just, just sitting there silently with this kind of standoff between the Democrats and the Republican governor. And then it comes to 2017. Mm-hmm. And it's the spring of 2017. And finally, Democrats in the legislature are like, we're, we're just going to do it. We're just going to pass a $15 minimum wage. And we're going to send it to the desk of a Republican governor, and he'll probably veto it. And to be honest, a lot of Democrats just thought that was a campaign issue because then they could attack him for not signing it. And I remember in May of 2017, when we were preparing to find the votes to pass that bill. All of the Senate Democrats sat in a room with the Senate president, John Collerton, mm-hmm. and talked about it in private, mm-hmm. away from everybody else, having a conversation that I'm not supposed to be telling you about. But I got the inside scoop right now. Yes, I do. You and nobody else. <laughs> and all of our listeners. <laughs> Maybe nobody else, like I said. <laughs> There might be one. There might be one. It's, There's always the producer and the engineer. <laughs> I for sure have a mom also. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in that conversation, there was a lot of like a lot of eye rolling, a lot of, you know, we're going to pass this thing because this is what we're supposed to pretend to be for. And, mm-hmm. the you know, the organizers want it and the unions want it. And, you know, it's too much. It's not realistic. But the governor's not going to sign it anyway. So don't worry about it. It's just part of this political theatrical performance. Mm. And that's how it got talked about. I think in the House it was different. Uh, because they don't tend to have mass conversations. Yeah. In the House, I think Mike Madigan, the speaker, kind of met with people one at a time. And he was like— Oh, so they weren't in this huge room that you were in, that you were privy they, to? They do that occasionally, okay. but they more often don't. Just have these one-on-ones. Yeah, or one-on-a-fews. One-on-a-fews. And he, he basically had taken the position that this thing that he had been unwilling to push for just a few years ago— in fact, he'd been unwilling to push for $10 an hour a few years ago, and now it was 15 bucks that it was politically important to pass it even though the governor wouldn't sign it or, in fact, because the governor wouldn't sign it. And so now he was going to start twisting arms of people and really try to push them to do it. Here's the thing. It was this, – this, the idea of 15 was like mind-blowing to a lot of Democrats, but they were right. okay voting for it because it was going to get vetoed by the Republican governor. Mm-hmm. Except that set the precedent that they were for it. Mm-hmm. And then once the Democratic governor who was for it came into office, it became really hard not to pass it. Okay. And I don't know that I think this would have happened if we'd had a Democratic governor the whole time. I think the fact that having a Republican governor as a foil pushed people who maybe weren't so fired up about this to vote for it anyway Mm. has a lot to do with why it eventually happened. And if you had told me in 2013 that the way to get a a $15 minimum wage would be to first have a Republican governor veto it, I would have been like, that is very circuitous and very, very convoluted. But I think ultimately it's part of why we're here. And to be clear, it still almost didn't happen. February 2019, which, by the way, is very early on in the legislative session, uh, which ordinarily starts sometime in January and ends at the end of May, 
usually most of the high profile stuff happens right at the end, mm-hmm. you know, like a little bit in April, a little bit in the first half of May, most of it in the second half of May, a tremendous amount of it in the last couple of days of mm-hmm. May. But this minimum wage passed in the middle of February. Mm. And that was actually, um, I think, a really smart move by Governor Pritzker to raise the stakes. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, we're going to throw this into the confusing stew of all the different big issues that we tackle at the same time in May, he said, I just got made governor. I want to do this right now. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of threw down a gauntlet to the legislators where they had to either go along with it or else – really spit in the face of the brand new governor of their party Mm. right out of the box. But right before the vote in the Senate, the senators get cold feet again. And Governor J.B. Pritzker literally shows up to this big meeting of all the Democratic senators in Senate President John Collerton's office. And he says, we're Democrats. We ran on this. We believe in this. Mm. This is why we're in politics. And if we vote for this and pass it, people's lives are going to get better and we'll get reelected because people will be happy their lives got better. And Obviously, I wasn't in the room, but my understanding is that that, his willingness to stand there and make that pitch and say, I just became governor. This means a lot to me and the people who voted for me. Let's get it done. Made a big difference. And so, by the way, after all that, all the Democrats in the Senate voted for it. Yeah. All of them. They had tons of votes to spare. Plenty of them could have voted no, but but they all voted for it this time, including the ones who voted no the last time including the ones who are probably rolling their eyes still. They all voted for it. And then it went to the House Mm -hmm. where not everybody voted for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it still passed. But the interesting thing about what happened in the House is when you analyze who voted for it and who didn't, and there are people in the House, the kind of people who Mike Madigan is worried about whether they're going to get reelected. They won their elections really close with 50 or 51 or 52 percent. And they voted no. Yeah. And they were probably instructed by Madigan to vote no because he tends to believe, just like he believed five years ago, that if something is a Democratic priority, it's always safe for a Democrat to vote no because the folks who believe in it have nowhere to go but to vote for you. And the folks who are against it, they might be pleased that you voted for it. And so what's really interesting is that there are some Democrats who were in really close elections who I'm sure Madigan told to vote no. And they voted yes, mm. probably because they believe in it yeah. or because they know their constituents want it or because they promise it. You know, Mike Madigan is viewed as this political boss and people always want to say they're being independent of him. But I think for these members who he told to vote no for political reasons and they voted yes for reasons of conviction, if they go home and say, Mike Madigan told me to vote against the minimum wage, but I voted yes. You should be proud of me for being independent. No one's going to believe him. Right. Because in the meantime, Mike Madigan's on TV saying I'm for a minimum wage increase. Yeah. Oh, so you're spilling all the tea. You are yeah, spilling layers. the tea on this podcast. There are layers. What are the kind of implications of, of you openly sharing these things on this platform? And why is it important for you to be sharing it on this particular platform? I think that the disconnects that separate what people want in their communities from what actually happens in government are fueled by the fact that people don't know enough of these dirty details to figure out how to hold the right people accountable. I agree. So that's what this is for. That's what's up. Do you feel good about yourself? Eh. I feel good about it. I feel good about you. This is great. feel great about you too. This is awesome. 
High five. Let's let the people hear it. High five. All right. Hold uh, on. Uh, yeah. Oh, wait. It has to be like, airtight. There you go. That was a real one. High five. Take two. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. That's it for our first episode of Ill-Informed. Illinois now has a $15 minimum wage, which will slowly be implemented over the next six years. And we've got a bit more insight into what was happening behind those closed doors. But obviously, we've just scratched the surface. Next episode, we'll look at a bill that wasn't in the spotlight and how that lack of public attention completely changed the process. Thanks for listening, y'all. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe so we can keep making this thing. Bye-bye. Hi there, this is Casey, co-founder of State Matters and producer of Ill-Informed. Thank you so much for listening and taking an interest in learning more about how this wacky stuff works in Springfield and how you can get involved to make the state better. If you support what we do, please consider making a donation at statematters.org. Even $10 makes a difference and also gives that little boost that someone out there is supporting the work we're doing. Again, you can donate at www.statematters.org. And while you're at it, rate and review this podcast to help more folks find us. Thanks. Thanks.